Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. I have a really special episode for you today, episode 550, because today is March 10th, 2019, and Water White Breathe, book three of the Water White series, is now available in Kindle and paperback formats on Amazon. This completes my Water White trilogy, and I am so excited that this episode is going to be about my trilogy. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how it started, and I'm going to read you a couple chapters from book one. So don't go away. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. I'll bet some of you out there today are wondering, why water white? And it's not water right, and it's not water weight, as Amazon might try to correct you when you're typing in water white. So here's how this unusual title, one word title, came about. I think I've mentioned a couple of my author friends before. Author, playwright, poet, filmmaker Carol Bellhouse, and author Stephanie Spong, two incredibly talented friends who have edited all three of my books. Well, we used to, and we haven't been in a while, we used to go to Cottonwood Hot Springs down in BV, a little little ways from Leadville, you know, to do research. We would, we would soak in the hot springs for a couple of hours and talk about our projects and kick around titles and all that. And I hadn't come up with a title yet for my series. I knew it had to have water in this in the name and I like short titles, kind of like Miss was a very short title, my first novel. And so we were kicking around putting together words with water in it and and nothing really stuck. So after a couple of hours of pruning in the hot springs <laughs> and I'm sure solving some of our literary problems, we went to eat at the Asian Palette, which is an awesome sushi place in BV. Buena Vista. Some of you say Buena Vista. I'm still going to say Buena Vista. Sorry. Nope. Not going to apologize for that either. It just sounds better. Anyway, we were at the Asian Palette. Great place. And Carol was sitting across from me and Stephanie was sitting by my side. And Carol looked at me with kind of a strange expression on her face. And she said, I have to say this. I have to tell you something I keep hearing. And we said, okay. And at this point, I didn't know that she heard things. So she said, water white. And I looked at her like, okay, what is that even, you know, what? I don't get it. And she said, I've heard it two times now. So I just, I just had to say it. I'm hearing water white. And so Stephanie, by my side, asked Carol, well, how do you spell white? And Carol said, I don't know. I just heard the word, water white. At which point Stephanie said, well, is it W-I-G-H-T, like a spirit or, you know, a creature or something? At which point I broke out in goosebumps all over my body and I said, that's it. Because how could it not be? 
there's something in the water, in the Water White series. And Carol heard the word. Stephanie made it make sense to us. And uh, that's how my series was named. And I'll honestly never be able to thank Carol and Stephanie enough for their insightful and loving and funny edits of all three works. And uh, all three works, that's quite a few pages that each of them took their time to read through to give me feedback to make them better than what I had originally written. So Carol and Stephanie, I love you both. Thank you. It's why book three is dedicated to both of you. (laughs) I had fun with that dedication. And so without too much further ado, I'm going to read to you the first two chapters of Water White, book one. Water White, book one, part one, The Big Water. Chapter one. She was done with it. The heavy metal door complained at being pulled open in the midst of a gloomy night. Filled with jitters, Celeste felt her senses tingle as she ran into the chilling darkness. She ran until she was breathless, stopping to lean against a broken streetlight near an abandoned house far from the children's home. Startled by the speed of her escape, she took a moment to look around and realized she had no idea where she was. What now, genius? She pretended not to feel the fear rising in her chest. Without a hint of daylight to be seen, she'd soon be shivering. She dashed to the back of the dilapidated structure and looked through a small window. All was dark. The back door was open, and cautiously, she stepped inside. After years of living with the other orphaned girls, had it been three years, maybe four? She had made no close friends, despite her efforts at coaxing them to share their past lives. No one within the cheerless walls would talk about the event that left so many children orphans. They simply called it the event, and after a while, everyone just seemed to forget. But Celeste never forgot. She grew to hate her life in the stark, hollow building with its repetitive days and its people with their blank faces. They weren't bad people. They were just cold, like everything around her. Come on, she had once begged, dragging her bunkmate behind the only apple tree on the property during playtime. Tell me about your family. Tell me how you got here. She had the timid girl pinned against the giant tree. Leave me alone, the girl had screamed, squirming out from under Celeste's surprisingly powerful grip and running to one of the caretakers. The older woman approached her then. Mustn't be a busybody, she admonished, but her eyes showed more fear than reproach. Why won't you tell me what happened? Celeste shouted back, arms crossed. She had been barely alive when strangers had found her in the rubble of what was once her cozy home. But that was all she knew. Mustn't, just mustn't. Now run along and be a good girl like the others, was all the woman had said before leaving Celeste alone behind the tree. The others had stopped questioning the mystery, but Celeste could not, and she could not imagine trudging through another day without trying to find the answer to why her parents 
and everything from her past life, had disappeared. Let's get out of here, she had recently whispered to another girl during dinner. She wanted a buddy to explore the world beyond the confines of the home with her. Don't you ever want to grow up? What are we, like 14 already? Don't you want to see what's out there? They treat us like babies here, and this food... But the girl had moved her tray to the next table and never looked back. Celeste tossed and turned that night until a startling message woke her from a recurring nightmare. She was always in the same place, perched at the edge of a frightful precipice and knowing she'd have to jump. But this time, something changed in her dream. Getting ready to jump from the ledge, she removed the emerald green silk scarf that matched her eyes and held back her mass of tangled black curls. She let it drop and watched its swirling, dizzying descent. Lightheaded from peering over the edge to watch as her scarf disappeared, she pulled back and caught her breath. And then, a man with a French accent called to her. There's an easier way down. Come, come inside. She turned toward the voice and saw a window where none existed before. Who's there? she called, standing on shaky legs. She got no response, but moved to the window. If there was an easier way down, she wanted to find it. You must trust me, ma petite. The voice became clearer as the window opened. She stepped through the window, leaving the dangerous ledge behind her. She'd never have to jump again. Waking from her dream in the cold room and hearing fitful sounds from the sleeping girls around her, girls who'd never be brave enough to abandon their easy routine, she decided to leave the place that would never be home. Celeste shoved her meager possessions into a small gray bag, blue jeans, a few old shirts, her favorite green scarf, and a diary with a lock, the key to which she wore around her neck. After one last look around, she removed the name tag from the foot of her bed and slipped it into the plastic pocket on the outside of the bag. She donned a worn leather jacket with her initials C-A-N embroidered on the warm lining. A feeling of guilt washed over her when she thought of how excited her parents were when they had given her the expensive gift to mark her first decade of life. It had been far too big for her at the time, and she'd refused to wear the baggy garment. She wished they could see how much she treasured their gift now. But they were gone, and she didn't know why. How she wished for someone to trust, someone to tell her everything would be okay, someone to make her feel safe and loved again. With curiosity and determination, she had overpowered her fear of the unknown, but she hadn't planned anything before leaving the children's home. Her heart beat loudly while she waited for her eyes to adjust to the darkness in the abandoned house. She dropped her bag next to the door. Soon she could make out kitchen shapes, but she wasn't alone. Eight glowing eyes stared at her from the opposite corner of the room. Please, oh, please, oh, please be cats and not a mutant creature, she whispered. She didn't move a muscle. Then voices broke the silence. Of course we're cats, love, 
said one. Mutant creature indeed, said the next. Silly Celeste, said another, with eyes focused on the Celeste Araya Nolan name tag in the clear pocket on her bag. Come, curl with us, sleep, said a fourth cat, and Celeste thought she must still be dreaming. Perhaps she had not yet left the frightening ledge of her nightmare, had not yet run away. Her dreams often jumped from scene to scene without making any sense. And how else would they know my name, she wondered. The furry mass didn't move, but the sound of a rumbling drew her, trance-like, toward the animals. They parted to let her kneel among them. Unafraid and believing she was dreaming, Celeste stroked the warm fur of her strange new friends and felt a pang in her heart when she realized there had been no animals at the children's home. There had been no talk of animals, just as there had been no talk of anything that happened before her rescue. How could she have forgotten about holding the plump puppy her father had brought home shortly before the event? She had forgotten about many things, and her mind raced to remember. Memories of shaking and shouting and deafening noise came back to her, overpowering her. She couldn't hold back her tears. The cats rubbed against her, coaxing her to curl up in their midst. She crumbled to the floor, her cry turning to a soft whimper, and soon she was warm and fast asleep. A low rumble, miles and miles away, echoed through the air and mingled with a sound that was both words and melody. A message? But she couldn't understand it. It sounded like a child singing in a language from a faraway land. She could smell bacon, and she could almost distinguish the face of her mother standing in a strange doorway. Chapter 2 where am I? In the perplexing peculiarity between sleeping and waking, Celeste's voice shattered the silence. A single beam of intense light streamed through a crack in the door and startled her awake from a dream she had hoped would continue. She slapped herself hard on the cheek to see if she was truly awake. The pain told her it was no dream. She had, in fact, run away. But the talking cats? She considered her surroundings. An odor of urine hung in the air, but there were no other signs of the furry animals who had kept her warm. She didn't know how long she had slept, but by the angle of the sun, figured it must be close to mid-morning. She tried to recall the distant song from her dream. It lingered like a craving. For what, she had no idea, but something, someone, was calling to her. Across the room, she could see the scattered contents of her bag. Hungry, the aroma of bacon still fresh in her memory, she hoped the animals had not eaten what she'd managed to scrounge before her hasty departure. The home had always provided three meals a day, but lately the children had noticed less on their plates. The previous night, Celeste had crept noiselessly to the kitchen with bare feet on a cold floor, hoping to find some food for her escape. She froze in her tracks halfway down the hall when she heard two of the cooks whispering anxiously. 
and then the sound of cabinets being locked. When all was quiet, she tiptoed to the kitchen and spotted four bruised apples on the counter, the only fresh food the children ever ate, and half a bag of stale crackers. Everything else was locked away. Looking around the tiny, abandoned kitchen, Celeste shook her head as she moved to gather her belongings. Talking cats, yeah, right, she murmured, forcing a chuckle. Then she noticed her diary lying open on the floor. Feeling for the key around her neck, still there, she reached for the leather-bound book. No way. Something was scrawled on one of the pages. Panic returned anew at the thought of someone sneaking up on her while she slept. She crept to the door to see if she could see anyone outside. All was as barren as it had been when she first arrived. She looked back at the page and read aloud. You can't stay here, you can't go back. A tool please find within your sack. South is where you'll find your home, though for a time you'll be alone. Follow your nose to find the springs, but do beware of that which sings. Danger's near, it's time to go. Eeny, meeny, miny, and mo. Celeste wondered who would play such a childish joke on a sleeping girl and was angry for not waking when someone must have taken and replaced the key around her neck. She shivered and then grabbed her bag and opened it. What the heck? She was surprised to find an old metal object at the bottom. A compass. The spinning needle brought back a fleeting memory of camping with her parents. Celeste's father had given her a toy compass and taken her on a short adventure around the campground. The red arrow always wants to go north, he had told her. Her father was a patient teacher. He had turned her slowly until she faced the direction the arrow pointed. So, if you turn your body until it lines up on the N, then east will be to your right, south will be behind you, and west will be to your left. Now, take ten steps west. With the lingering memory of her father's lesson in mind, she grew anxious to leave the filthy place. At least the cats hadn't touched her food. She devoured one mushy apple while reading the bizarre poem again. She gathered her things and stepped outside, If only the cats were there, she might talk to them again or determine she must have been hallucinating. Talking cats were things for fairy tales, and the world outside looked like no fairyland she'd ever read about. The sky was a cloudless blue, which emphasized the devastation all around her. While running through the town in the dark, she hadn't noticed the crumpled buildings and rutted streets, the fallen trees and dead grass, the overall desolate atmosphere. Holding the compass in her hand, she turned until the red arrow pointed north, the direction of the children's home. She turned around to face the south. Her home was gone. Why would someone tell her to head south? And where was the danger? She had no idea what finding the springs meant or why her nose would be involved in finding them. And singing? Who sang anymore? As for Eeny, Meeny, Miney, and Moe, she could make no sense of that whatsoever. She shook her head, mystified. Although the sun shone brightly, the hairs on the back of Celeste's neck prickled. 
A surge of energy motivated her to move away from the house, and she headed south, her pace quickening with a growing feeling she wasn't safe. Her brisk walk became a jog and then an all-out run when she looked over her shoulder and saw in the distance a small pack of what looked like wild dogs fighting. Celeste heard one faint, gruff voice from the direction of the pack. The animal stopped their commotion and turned in her direction. Food, she heard, and ran like she never had before. That ends chapter two of Water White Book One, and I have to give a shout out to Sherry Randall, owner of the yummy shop Cookies with Altitude here in Leadville, because one of my Cottonwood Hot Springs days, just the two of us went out there and we were chatting about the book and the story and water, and at the time I hadn't yet determined the size of the water or what might be the deal with the water. And it was Sherry's comment about making it a smelly hot springs that got my attention and my imagination ended up turning it into a silvery pink ooze that would spread across the land. Now, for those of you who don't know how the story actually started, it started with a dream I had. I am a very vivid dreamer, have been my whole life, and I shared this dream with Carol Bellhouse, who ended up hearing the word water white. And in my dream, I was running away from bad guys through a devastated town, and I started to fly away from them. I was just inches from their hands as they were trying to grab me, and I came to a large water obstacle that I had to fly over. Well, I did my best, took off, and was flying over this large body of water, and started to fall about halfway. I I didn't know it was halfway, but I was somewhere just surrounded by water, and I started to fall, was freaking out, and a flying frog came out of nowhere and said, grab hold. And I grabbed hold of this flying frog's, this large flying frog's leg, and it got me safely to the other side. Well, in my dream, it then died in my arms, and the dream went on, and there was a, an Odin-like wizard who came to me later in the dream, and he introduced himself as George the Ham Man. He'll show up somewhere in the book. So I was able to use a lot of elements from that dream that I shared with Carol, and she said, oh my gosh, you just have to write a children's book about it. And I had never written a children's book before and didn't really necessarily want it to do like a children's picture book. So in my mind, it was a 14-year-old girl who was running away, and who had to save the world from this encroaching body of stinking ooze. So there you have it, the genesis of my water white story. And when I finished book one, which is in three parts, by the way, because I wanted to present different perspectives, I wasn't finished with my characters yet or with my story. I leave readers hanging a little bit about where's Celeste. And I also don't answer the question about what happened to cause the event in book one. So you have to read book two, Water White Flux, in which everything is in flux. The land is in flux, the water is in flux, the powers of the children are in flux, and Celeste has to deal with two pesky old gods, Odin, whom most most of you have probably heard of, the god of the sky and, and rain and all kinds of things. When I was a cadet at West Point, 
we cadets used to chant to Odin for rain so that we could get out of parade practice. Anyway, it didn't really work very often, if it ever worked at all. So we have Odin in there as a sky god she has to deal with. And then I found this awesome water god, Kamugwe. He's an Inuit water god. And she has to deal with both these gods in book two to deal with a really tragic octopus situation. And uh, you'll find out what happened to cause the event in book two. So book two follows three different storylines. It follows Celeste and her attempts to get back to the village. It follows the bad guys. I'll just say the bad guys. They're mostly women. (laughs) And it follows what's happening in town from Orville's perspective. And Orville is my flying frog who, I'll just, uh, a, a teeny little spoiler here. Let's just say he transforms. There's some transforming going on in this book, in all these books. So book two, Flux, has Celeste struggling mightily against lots more obstacles. And book three, I decided to do something a little bit crazy with, I decided to go with a pure first person present tense perspective from Celeste's perspective for book three. I'll tell you that I did get my inspiration for that from reading The Hunger Games, which I highly recommend. I really enjoyed that series. And the first person present tense perspective of Katniss, the main character, was just so stunning and in your face and right now that I had to give that a try for my third book. So I figured, why not? So Water White Breathe, my third book, just came out. I have a trilogy under my belt, and I would love it if you would download it or purchase the paperbacks and read them. Leave me reviews if you like them on Amazon. Share them with your friends. Share them with teachers you might know. I have synonym glossaries and questions for discussion in the back of each book. My former teacher inclination came out when I was writing these. I didn't want to dumb down my language, so there's some pretty good vocabulary in them. And themes and plots and symbolism and and stuff like that, too, that teachers would just... I think, love in a fresh new series. I'll be bringing this series to the 2019 Denver Pop Culture Con, the last weekend in May, first weekend in June at the Denver Convention Center. I hope lots of you will come and see me there, get my autograph. But if you do want an autograph on any of my books, you could just contact me and we'll figure out how to get you one or three, you know, three, because it's a trilogy. I sure hope you enjoyed hearing about my Water White series and listening to the first two chapters of book one. Hope it interested you enough to check them out some more. I've gotten some great reviews. Could always use more. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at leadvillelaurel.com. And if you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it. I hope you'll help support Alligator Preserves on Patreon. Check out the rewards you'll receive at patreon.com slash alligatorpreserves. And join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. Until then, let's see. Were there any preserves in Water White? There were no preserves, but honey lemon muffins and bacon and, ooh, I'm hungry. (laughs) Be good to yourselves. Buy the Water White Trilogy for your spring break reading and come back again. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. 
Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. <laughs>